Well, I noticed this morning that we've gotten down to the sermon a little more quickly than we usually do. Uh, which maybe tells me this, that someone's anticipating a rather long sermon. <laughs> which is always a possibility, right? We will be tur- returning to the first chapter of Revelation this morning. As we begin, I just want to remind you of some things. And one of those, if uh, it's not apparent to you that you would understand that this is a book all about Jesus. All about what Jesus is about and what Jesus is about doing as we're sitting here. It's also about what Jesus is going to do in the future. And just remember, if you want to ever have a summation statement of the, of the purpose of the book of Revelation, it's to show us, it's to teach us that we would understand some, some things. And two of those most important things are the fact that Jesus, in fact, is victorious. He will be victorious. He will put every enemy he has ever had at his feet, and they will bow before him, and they will confess that he is Lord. The other thing we need to understand about it is this, is is because Jesus wins, so do we. That we will be with him in all of his greatness and of all of his glory. That he has far more planned for us than we can possibly begin to think about or comprehend. If you and I could see a glimpse of the life that we have to come, we would run to it. This, my friends, is what the book of Revelation is about. So Jesus is coming, and as we completed last week in verse 7, as he comes, there will be a great mourning that goes out upon the earth, a great calling out, a crying out from those who have not known him, those who have not served him, those who now know him as a conquering king, but still not as Savior and Lord in that sense. So we'll pick up with verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker of the tribu- in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard him, or heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. We eventually are going to be getting into those. Uh, those seven notes or seven letters in this big letter uh, that Jesus is setting forth through an angel uh, 
to the Apostle John. It should not strike us odd uh, that the passage we just read this morning starts out with two words, and those two words are, I am. You think, of, and, and in particular, we not, we're not surprised that they're coming through the Apostle John either, are we? Because one of the things that the Gospel of John is noted for is those, there's actually eight I am statements of Jesus in that Gospel. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way and the truth and the life. I'm the vine. Before Abraham was, I am. And it should also make us think of something else all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, as we've, we've already said this morning. When Moses is there at the burning bush, and he asks God, Who is it am I to say who has sent me? And what does the Lord God said, say? He says, I am who I am, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, is the one who sent you. He's the one who is and who was and who is to come. That phrase appears a couple of times here in this book of Revelation. We'll get to that in a minute. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Well, if you know anything about Greek, any know thing about Greek, even if you know just Greek as far as all the different service clubs at colleges, you know that Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and then Omega is the last word of the Greek alphabet. And so what Jesus is saying here basically is this, is I am the first, I am the last, I am the beginning, and I am the end. All of which means a lot of things, and one of those is this. Is he's the one who was before the beginning of everything else. That he's always been. That he's eternal. And remember, we talked last week about how we just cannot wrap our heads around that idea of eternity. It's something that has always existed. There's never been a beginning of God. He's always been. We also know that he will have no end. There was never been a time when God was not. There never will be a time when God isn't. You and I have a beginning. But through Jesus Christ, we will have no end. Can you really comprehend eternal life? I was thinking about Joan, uh, Joan's mom, Alice, this morning, and we know that she's 96 years old, and for her to be rushed to the emergency room doesn't surprise any of us. 
She's been lightheaded a little bit lately, and she fell last week. Didn't hurt herself, but she fell. We don't know when her time is coming, but we do understand that there's a good chance that she's probably going to exit this world before most of the rest of us. But remember what she has waiting for her. Her real home. Her real place. Her eternal life. The Almighty. Why do you and I ever fear anything? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? All of those things that you and I spent this week worrying about, we ought not to spend one second of time fretting over. Because our Father is God Almighty. He can and He will take care of us always. Able to do that which is impossible for anyone else to do. Almighty God. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. Now, one of the interesting things about it is is this simple fact, and that is John never ascribes his name to his gospel. His name doesn't appear in the gospel of John at all. He doesn't even mention his name in his three epistles. He refers to himself as the elder. So it should be striking to you and I to begin with that the apostle John puts his name here in this book. But it's here nonetheless. Now, as we said before, that there's been some conversation, there's been discussion, because there were other Johns that were very active in the early church, that perhaps one of them was the author of this particular book or this letter. I haven't found anyone that was convincing other than the Apostle John. I mean, it sounds so much like John. And, and we do know this. We know that John's later years in ministry were spent amongst these seven churches. And we know that he died in Ephesus eventually. Notice here he says, your brother. John, your brother. In other words, he's writing to people that he knows intimately, that he has close relationships with, that he has ministered to and they have ministered to him. They've shared trial and tribulation. They've been with each other in the good times, and they've been with each other in the the bad times. And that was one of the things I enjoy so much about Friday night, is to see the older people here, the people that have been around here for a while, and we've grown to know each other, people in this room that I've been very close to for 25 years plus now. Do you think we've been over some... Humps and bumps and rough places in the road. We've also had lots of times of celebration like we had on Friday night. 
I hope everyone in this room understands what we're talking about here, that you have the opportunity to truly have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ because they are precious. They are unbelievably precious. Uh, And we all need to have those brothers and sisters, those people that we are most close to. He's their brother. But he's also a fellow partaker in the tribulation. Now, we hear a lot about tribulation because people always want to talk about the great tribulation, right? That's coming in a few weeks. We're going to talk about the great tribulation. But there's a sense in which, and there's a possibility, the great tribulation is a reference to all of the suffering and uh, and trouble that has come upon Christians from the very beginning of the church until the church comes in its fullness. In other words, there may be a sense in which we are right now in the midst of the great tribulation. It's been going on all along and will continue until Christ comes. It shouldn't surprise anyone that as a Christian you might suffer. As a matter of fact, it should should surprise you as a Christian if you never do. Jesus promised it to us. He said, in the world... You will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. And what we'll find as we get into these letters is some of these people in these churches he's writing to, they are being persecuted severely even to the point of death. We should all know something of patiently enduring tribulation for the good of Christ's kingdom, the cause of our Lord. Someone once said this, said the closer you walk with Jesus, the more likely you are to draw fire from the enemy camp. In other words, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more likely you are to suffer trial and tribulation in this world. How do you feel about that? There's an easy way to get away from trial and tribulation. That is, don't ever say anything. Don't ever do anything. Just sit and be quiet. And don't do. That's a sure way to protect yourself from trial and tribulation as a Christian. That's do nothing. Just sit and be quiet and wait for Jesus to come back. There's a problem with that, my friends. 
And the problem is, is if you are truly saved, you cannot have that attitude. That is an anti-biblical, anti-Christ attitude. Take this off. So, how does the fight go? How's the battle going for you? John, in particular, here, as we read, he's been exiled to a little island called Patmos. It's only about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. It's just off the coast of Miletus, which is Asia Minor, which is, and Miletus is actually like the seaport of Ephesus. So he's not very geographically distant from these people he's writing these letters to initially. He's within probably 100 miles of where all these, all these brothers and sisters he's writing to are. But he's on this desolate volcanic island that is described as being nothing but a big rock. Even today it's so desolate there are very few people that live on the island of Patmos. The Romans used it basically as a penal colony. It's where they sent not just common criminals, they'd spend some time in the, you know, the city jail and etc. But, but what we're talking about, this is a place where the Romans sent people that they saw as being a threat to Rome. And John went there. And he lived there and he was on the island of Patmos when he, he saw these visions that are going to be recorded in this book. He was in exile, separated from his brothers and sisters in Christ. He stayed there. I'll take my tie off next. <laughs> if anything hits the wire and it's losing. He's on the island of Patmos. And, and I, I'm, I think about the Apostle Paul. Remember when Paul was arrested and, and imprisoned in Rome? So much of the church was looking and they were saying, Oh, what a terrible, awful thing. Paul's in prison now, and so the gospel's no longer going to go forth, and the, the church is going to shrivel up and die, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you just love Paul's heart when he writes the book of Philippians because he says, That's not the case. That my imprisonment has actually promoted the spread of the gospel. It's a good thing. And one of the neat things is it's penetrated all the way into the household of Caesar himself. The kitchen help, perhaps. People who had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Because of Paul's tribulation. See, God always has a purpose in the trials and the tribulations he brings, he brings upon every one of us. And who's to say, wherever you happen to be right now, if the purpose in that is not for you to be better able, better prepared to connect with other people that might be in the same boat you find yourself in. 
so that you, among everyone else, is better prepared, better able to minister to that particular person in that particular circumstance. Well, John remained there on the island of Patmos, but he was eventually released by Emperor Nerva around 96 to 98 A.D., so he was there for a good number of years. But what he did was he went here. He went to this area. He went and picked up his ministry where he left it off so many years ago amongst the same group of people. He spent his last years in Ephesus. And they say that his body was broken. So you need to understand something. He wasn't just there on a vacation at Patmos. He wasn't just there in exile. We have good reason to believe that he endured torture and things like that during that time as well. They say that every time the church door was open, John was there. And then it got to the point that he was so elderly and so crippled he could no longer walk any longer. So they would carry him on his pallet into the church. And he always had a message. And the message was the same thing. And the message was little children love one another. I would imagine if John walked in here today or was carried in here today, that that probably would be his message to us, and that is that we need to love each other. I mean, really love each other. And that means getting down in the dirt and in the nitty-gritty and all that, the mess of each other's lives. Not just loving people by saying good morning on Sunday morning, by having relationships with people. Deep relationships. And I hope all of you have those. I hope there are people here that you feel comfortable enough to be the real you with. People that you're not constantly kind of watching your P's and Q's. So that you don't say the wrong thing that might upset someone or they might think wrongly of you or think ill of you because of some discretion maybe you reveal to them and you want to talk with a brother and sister in Christ about it or something along those lines. I hope you have those kinds of relationships. Because we all need them. And Jesus does not expect any of us to stand by ourselves. He doesn't. There is trial and there's tribulation. But there's also the kingdom. And see, this is what I'm talking about, guys. Is we are a kingdom of priests. And part of that priesthood is being priests for one another. I hope you're praying for the people here. I hope you pray on a regular basis for people in this room. I also hope that your prayers don't stop here. 
I hope that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that, that are in other churches, even in this community, in other places, maybe on the other side of the world. And you're ministering to them. And they're ministering to you. We all need it. But you see, guys, ministry is a two-way street. We very often look at it as if it's a one-way street. But it's not. It's a two-way street. We minister to others and others minister to us. It's part of being a believer. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of being the body. Notice here he says why. Why he's been exiled. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's the only reason. It's not because he's stolen from someone. It's not because he murdered someone. It's not because he committed adultery. It's not because he did this. It's not because he did that. It's just simply because he's standing for Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I was in the Spirit. Now, what's he saying there? Well, we know this. We know that we have to be born again by the Spirit, and that's true for every believer, right? And we know that we have to be gifted by the Spirit, that God gives spiritual gifts to absolutely every believer, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the the church. But we also know there is this thing called the filling of the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. My fear is that there's some people in this room that have never experienced that in their whole lifetime. What we're talking about here is this unbelievable heightened sense of the presence of God in you. The charismatic movement, my my friends, has got some things very wrong. But let me tell you something else. They've gotten some things very right. And we need to learn from them those right things. One of the things the charismatic movement has accomplished in our day is this. For a lot of people especially people like the frozen chosen who don't really ever express much emotion in their worship. They come and they sing the same things they sung all of their life, but they don't really think too much about the words. There's never a tear in their eye. There's never a smile on their face. It shook up the church. And challenged us with the idea that the Spirit needs to be in our worship. And we need to let the Spirit run free in our worship. Not to shackle Him.
told this story just recently, but it just stood out for me. And, and it, you know, I, I've been reading this, and I did finish Hudson Taylor's biography, and I'm thinking about reading it all over again <laughs> for the third time. And it took me probably a year and a half to read it this last time. And just a few pages a day, but it's just, gosh, I want it. I do. But there's a story in there about this young lady. One of the first, one of the things that the China Inland Mission did that really raised the eyebrows of people, they didn't do this initially, but eventually they got to the point that they were sending single women out to remote places in China all by themselves sometimes as missionaries. And there's this story in there about this one lady that they sent out. And she was out there as a missionary, and she was, she was doing her missionary stuff and, and, and all of that. And there was a little fruit, but there wasn't a whole lot of fruit. One day she came, or she was having a conversation with another one of the missionaries or a Christian. I'm not sure if he was connected with the mission or if he was from a different mission because there were other people coming from Europe and, and doing the same thing, evangelizing China at the same time. But he asked her, he said, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? And her response was, I'm not even too sure I know what that means. And so she prayed. We're waiting for everyone else to pray for us to give us the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying ourselves that God would give me the Holy Spirit. That he would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And they say from that day on, her ministry was transformed. That her whole demeanor changed. Before she was very dutiful, very prim and proper. She always knew the right thing to say. She always knew to some degree the right thing to do. But there was no spirit in it. John's, she was experiencing what John's experiencing here. He's filled to the utmost with the spirit of God. On the Lord's day. First day of the week, the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And for thousands of years, worship day for Israel and for all Jews had been on Saturday, the Sabbath day. And let me just say, there is some carryover. You know, there's a sense in which we recognize Sunday today as a Sabbath day. But not in the same strict, literal, law-keeping sense that the Jewish people did. We understand that there's some similarity, but there's some distinct difference between the old Sabbath and today's Lord's Day. And we need to understand that the church made this transition pretty early on. Switching from worship on Saturday to worship on Sunday. And we need to understand that most of the converts early on were Jewish people. 
And they continued to do what they had done and their ancestors had done. And then they went through this transition where some people were doing both. They were doing the Sabbath on Saturday and they were doing the Lord's Day on Sunday. But eventually that transition was kind of completed. I don't know there are too many people that do that anymore. But, but we recognize the Lord's Day as a day of Sabbath. But at the same time, we acknowledge that it is our day of worship. Now, notice John is here. We don't have any idea that there are any other believers with John. Was there a church in Patmos? If you think about the reason that they were, what, he was there and the reason everybody else was there. It doesn't seem very likely. Now, that doesn't mean that John had a witness. There might be some conversations. Only thing I'm saying, they probably didn't get together in some building on on Sunday morning and have a full-blown worship service like we do. I would imagine wherever John went, there was at least a little bit of the church that sprung forth from him. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a loud voice. It sounded like a trumpet. Behind him. Now, if you know anything about trumpets in the Bible, you know that trumpets were used very often to gather God's people together. They, it happened that there was a trumpet blast at Sinai, so the people came to the mountain. They used trumpets to gather Israel together when they were traveling through the wilderness. The second coming of Christ will be announced with the sound of a trumpet blast. And now John's standing here, and behind him, he hears this voice speaking that sounds like a trumpet. I did a funeral service over at Bushnell at the National Cemetery a number of years ago, and we're going to be having a thing for, for Marie there because Carl was a veteran, and he is interred there. Uh, and so she will be too. But they have these little areas where you can gather together, have a few seats and all that, and there's a place for the pastor to stand, and so you, you can you know, have your little service there. And So I was doing that, and uh, I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on around me. And, you know, they have an honor guard that does a uh, 21-gun salute, and they had snuck in almost right behind me. And I had no clue it was coming. And it came. And I probably went three feet off the ground. It scared the bejeebies out of me. So I want, you, I want you to think about this over this week. How would you respond if you were standing and then all of a sudden behind you, you heard a loud voice that sounded like a trumpet. That's where we're going next week. And I hope you'll be here to continue on.